And here we go, we are off again. Let's get the speed up here. So we're following uh, BK Lee from Korea on his uh, video. And he is on his day seven, hour two. I'm on my day 30, imagine. Gotta give away some big prizes today. Wait till we get to day 100. I mean, kind of money I'm raking in with this podcast, I would imagine we could be giving away. I don't want to promise my lawyer is shaking his head at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Could be, now I'm not saying definitely, million dollar giveaway prize for, you know, phone-in competition or something. Um, that'll be first prize. Second prize, dinner date with me. Third prize, two dinner dates with me. Ka-ching! Oh, I'm so hilarious. I'm just so funny, I make myself laugh all the time. I actually do, I was talking to my colleague Kieran about it. Saying I tell myself jokes aloud, and then I laugh at them. I said I'm either really hilarious or slightly mad. Or both, there's a fine line. So anyway, BK has turned up right up a nice little laneway. By this stage of my Camino, Camino, we're passing somebody, we're passing somebody. Hello, Juan Camino. Hola. Hola, chica. <laughs> Is that sexist? Chica, I don't know. Hey, come on, I no speak the language. Now I'm doing foreign stereotype accents. Hey, I'm just doing it for my agent. My, for the voice coach, or not a voice coach. Talent director, talent hunters. Uh, I'm gonna stop speaking now until I regain command of the English language. So, okay, it's back, it's back. You know, I can feel my socks are kind of down. I need to pull them up. So now that I feel it, it's just... Any fellow neurotic would understand. I mean, they find footballers for that, don't they? I'm gonna stop. They find them if their socks are down. So, uh, for some reason. Oh, BK has stopped and I've stopped at the same time. That was not intentional. I'll wait till he moves. Oh, he's going the wrong way. And we're off. And they're off. Okay. So. Is he, he looks like he's barely moving at all. Oh, he is, yeah, okay. We have turned around. Repeat, we've turned around. So. Oh. Just have to grab my phone there. Um. So I'm doing a lunchtime walk. Did one last night at 10 p.m. It is now uh, 1 p.m. In, on Friday. Got that Friday feeling. What's that? I got that feeling. No, that's not the Friday feeling. Uh, that people are feeling all over me. That's not what I was thinking of. What I was thinking of was, oh, BK's going up a narrow lane now. Trees. Uh, and plants on each side. Oh, and now he's gone onto the main road. And he's crossing the road. And I hear laughter of pilgrims, peregrinos. Hold on, they're going the opposite way, are they? This guy don't know where he go, where he's going. 
Oh, stop, James. With the awful accent. He's talking Korean again. As I said, I'm not translating anymore. Um, he just said, okay, he just said, oh, you two again. You two. Always you two. Okay, so. I presume he said, well, no, I know he said that. And he also said, yes, I got lost again. Stop laughing at me. They're still laughing at him, though. They're still saying, oh, what an idiot. So, got the fry, I got that crunchy feeling. And uh, listeners from UK and Ireland will know that one. The crunchy feeling. And well, now we're overtaking, are these Koreans? I think, actually, there's a lot of, yeah, Catholics in Korea. Am I right? I am. I'm sure, I think. <laughs> I'm sure, I think. He's saying, he's saying, oh, no, I'm not telling you. It's a bit, no, I can't translate that kind of bad language. Okay. So he's off, he's singing to himself. He's happy. Walking on the left side of the road, I approve. And of course, in Ireland and the UK, you should walk on the Anyone? Anyone? Correct. Right side of the road. So you're facing the oncoming traffic. I see people on a narrow road. I drive from my home to my workplace, although I work from home mainly. But with some of them, it's a really dangerous road with drivers who go too fast. And some of the walkers walk on the left. I'm like, oh, grinds my gears. I feel like stopping getting out and telling them, but I'm like, that would just probably weird them out. So I don't. I just kind of shake my head disapprovingly. Oh, what's he saying now? I'm gonna jump over the, into the ditch. No, he's saying, I think it's this way, isn't it? And they're saying, yes, I think you're right. This. And then they're saying, oh, you're such an idiot. But they mean it in a nice way. Now they're saying, talking about what they're going to have for lunch. So you just can't get good Korean food in, in Spain. Maybe in Madrid, but not here, is what they're saying. Oh, I so miss Korean food. I like Korean food. I haven't had it in years. When I was in Russia, I had um, a Korean friend. Oh Hang Jong was her name. I told you about her before. So Oh would actually be her surname. Han Jong would be her, uh, you know, given name. Oh, I think. Um, why am I telling you that? Oh yeah, she used to make Korean food sometimes. Oh, they're talking their way. Now he's talking big time here. Ah, oh, it's nice to hear. Um, they're in jovial spirits. That's all I'm letting you know. They're in jovial spirits. It's a nice... Uh, apologies for all my sniffling. That's, that's my... the cross I must bear. Sinus problems. Got my sad lamp on, although the sun is actually coming in from outside. So I got double whammy, double sun. 
Double whammy. You never hear of a single whammy, do you? I was in um, the airport in, let me get some water here. By the way, I'm all about the tangents for the rest of this podcast. Like for the re- next 140 hours. Tangents all the way. I Embrace the tangent. That's another name for a podcast. Embrace the tangent. And then my other one for a podcast about books, The Caster in the Rye, W-R-Y. If you don't get the reference, then uh, uh, what do they say? What's that insult they use on Twitter? Educate, no, read a book. Hashtag read a book. Hashtag uh, something else. I don't know. Can't remember. But I saw somebody saying on Twitter, I'm, I'm not a member now. Sometimes I end up looking at it and I get angry and I want to reply. I realize I'm not a member anymore and I'm glad I don't get sucked down that horrible wormhole of opinions. Da, da, da. Um, what were they saying? Something about, well, someone was saying, hey, wasn't Lincoln a Democrat? And someone goes, some really right on person goes, no, of course he wasn't. He was, a, oh no, wasn't Lincoln a Republican? And someone goes, of course not. He was a Democrat. And then they use that hashtag, read a book, or what's the other one? Educate yourself or something. And I really felt like just rejoining Tinder just to, you know, oh, it'd be so sweet to be able to tell him, dude, Lincoln was a Republican. Read a book. Yeah. What's the other one? Read a book and let me know, please, listeners. I was contemplating, still am semi-contemplating doing these uh, podcasts on Clubhouse as well, but initially I liked the idea. I do it at lunchtime, so 1 p.m. Irish time, which would be 8 a.m. Eastern time in the States. Then I was like, okay, it would make me do them on a rigid schedule, but um, it would just change it, wouldn't it? You know, this whole clubhouse thing anyway, I kind of want to investigate it, but don't know. This was just something I did. I was going to do this on my own, and then I said I might as well stick on a mic and record it. I might try an experiment and do a clubhouse one. Um, I mean, there's something about getting zero listeners live that's better than getting zero listeners on a recording, right? I'm not getting zero listeners. The ACAST estimate I've got 144 downloads. Woo! Steady. Gonna, once I hit 200, I'll be jacking in the day job. So, hope my boss isn't listening. Because, <laughs> you know, I could really monetize it then, right? Um, but my listenership or the downloads went up something like 1400% in the last seven days. Ooh, exciting, huh? Yeah, my friend Vanessa in Barcelona from Mexico, she said, she knows about these things. She said, I really should record an intro. And initially I wasn't doing that because I was like, this is a kind of spiritual diary slash 
semi-humorous perhaps, but I wasn't overthinking about, you know, positioning myself in the market and all that. But I, I might write one, but it'll be really tongue-in-cheek, and I have an idea for the one I want to write. I won't say anymore. Probably do that over the weekend. And uh, now, tangents. Where were we? Let's see, gonna have to backtrack, reverse engineer my thoughts. I love that term, reverse engineer, I always use it. Um, so I will, let me get some more water. I had some really good stuff lined up there, didn't I? Gonna take off my top, steady. This time I sensibly have a zip up tracksuity thing so I can take it off without touching my headphones, which will pause the video. Chaos ensues when that happens, as, as you know. So, let's see, we get the fan on while I'm at it. Got it on low. Um, oh, where was I? Wow. I have lost, it's like my brain has completely reset now. Um, so we're walking along here. So Julia from Roma, whom I met on this day of the walk, she would be have gone long ahead of me at this stage. To be continued. Uh, what else? So, my God, absolute brain freeze. Absolute brain freeze. All oh, those clouds are lovely. We're going up a hill. I love doing this from... Anya, hello. From Ireland. And we're up on a sort of plateau now, which is really nice. Though there's a main road with the pavement on the side. Main road is quiet, though. As I said, a lot of quiet places uh, along the way, a lot of ghost towns. Um, just no cars at all. Which reminds me of the 16-lane highway I was on in Moscow in the middle of the night with four other Irish guys hitching and not a single car. Um, I say 16-lane, I don't know. We, uh, my head wasn't fully screwed on that night, so my head, it was just vast. Then this one car came, and it was a Dougal moment from Father Ted, for anyone who gets the reference. Because we're like, <laughs> is the car really small or really far away? Turned out it was both. <laughs> the closer it got, we were just looking at it. By the time he overtook us, we were collapsing in laughter. This little old man in this tiny little car. And the body of it, or the cover of it, was made from, like, plasticky kind of anoraki material. I mean, it was weird. And to see it on this huge motorway, or highway, or whatever you call it, um, I'm sure I am exaggerating. I was, my brain was magnifying things at the time, and now my nostalgia Nostalgia, as I say in Russia, adds another layer to it. 
plus my creativity slash madness. What is sanity? There is one subject I've lined up. Is today the day for it, though? I don't know. I saw a documentary on that topic, amazing documentary. By the way, the one I was talking about the other day, about the mountaineers helping blind people climb a mountain in the Himalayas, I think, was called Blind Sight. I'm pretty sure that was what it was called, Blind Sight. Could be wrong, it was one of the Storyville documentaries on BBC4, highly recommended. But this other documentary I saw years ago was set in South Africa in a, um, a psychiatric hospital where I think it was a psychiatric, yeah, prison, it was. Um, and there were, it was a men's psychiatric prison and all the men were there, black and white, and one message I got from it, they never stated this overtly, but I remember one of the white guys talking about one of his black fellow inmates, if that's the right word, or patients. Um, he said, I've no problem with him at all, and vice versa. One subtext I got from it was, these are supposed to be the mad people. And... Uh, yet, outside of this psychiatric hospital, white people and black people are fighting each other. Now, I, was it made before or after apartheid? Uh, I'm thinking after. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. There was The next bit I'd tell would sound like something that might not have happened during apartheid, though I'm no expert. <coughs> so, one of the men one of the, the black men, was um, from a tribe. And uh, he spoke English in this, but he would have, I mean, there's quite a lot, few tribal languages in South Africa. But he would be from a tribe. And they had to decide, he was getting these voices and a sort of calling that he was to be a shaman or a witch doctor, that, I think that's a pejorative term, is it? But like a shaman, a healer, medicine man for his community. And there was a specific African, well, probably tribal word in his language for what you would call this, for this sort of, like, it was like an entity or something. I wish I could remember the word. But, and I remember the um, psychiatrist interviewing him and saying, is it, whatever that word was, you know, and he thought it was. They had to decide, <clears throat> is he delusionally schizophrenic or is this real? Now, you know, my understanding, most psychiatrists in the part of the world I'm from would think this is a crazy conversation to have, but they were seriously having this conversation and they came to the conclusion that they should let him out to go back to his tribe to be a medicine man. I must try and locate that documentary again. There's so, I, I'm more of a 
drama, fiction person than non-fiction or documentary. But there's so some documentaries can just blow you away in a way that maybe fiction never can. I'm thinking of an example. I was at the Cork Film Festival years ago. I think my film was showing, I'm not sure. And they had, uh, there was at these short films. And one of them, the filmmaker interviewed her mother, who was elderly, about an incident that happened to her when she was young. And the mother was off camera, and this can be really powerful. And we know that the guy who directed Senna and the Amy Winehouse film and the Maradona film, that's the technique he uses. And what's really good about it is, actually Ken Wardrop, the Irish filmmaker in, what was it called? Interviewing my mother? Undressing my mother. Powerful documentary. But from what I remember, the actual interview with her was done was all off screen. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. So, get some more water here. Um, yeah, that was powerful. Now, he had images of his mother in the film um, actually undressing herself. I mean, that might sound weird. No, it was a beautiful film. And, um, but this one I saw in Cork, like it's amazing when I think of what really sticks with me film-wise, I could narrow it down. Wings of Desire is up there, sure. Oh, The Wrestler kind of is, and I know some people think that's generic, my God. You know, things can seem, just because something has a certain template, they can totally transcend the template, which The Wrestler absolutely did. It also borrowed from a template, i.e. the New Testament, which is these days pretty old template. New Testament borrowed some of its templates from the Old Testament. Fundamentalists may disagree, but that's something that has been sort of studied and pointed out by scholars. Um, but, so the film I saw in Cork was um, the filmmaker, so she was, her mother was Australian, the filmmaker was Australian, and the mother was born in England, but had an Australian accent in the film, I think, or maybe half Australian, half English, and it talked about when she moved to Australia, they took a ship to Australia, and there was, all you could do is, all you could, you could hear the mother's voice. I just want to say this one point, that when you, to interview someone on a microphone on it without a camera, such a different thing. I know myself, when they stick me in front of a camera and suddenly I can feel self-conscious, if it's a microphone, <laughs> like now, um, it's less inhibiting. I tell you one thing, I'm glad I'm not on camera right now, and so are you. That's all I'm saying. COVID, lockdown. I live alone, work alone with, in my house with two cats and a treadmill. Another name for a podcast. And don't need to particularly 
dressed to impress. My cats are easy with whatever I wear. So you do the math, but trust me. And just had a look at myself there. I'm sporting a bit of a semi-unabomber look there with the beard and long hair. Definitely in need of a trim. And uh, I mean, the only good thing is I'm no, stripped off because I'm hot <laughs> in more ways than one. And uh, no, what am I saying? I'm just looking at myself and going, he's a fine thing. Just the Unabomber look needs a bit of tidying up, but the rest of me, oh, oh yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's, uh, let's get back to more, um, uh, to more important matters. You know, my ravishing good looks, you know, they're just, they're not the most important thing in the world, okay? If I, for anyone who's jealous out there, honestly, um, I still suffer like the rest of you. So, <laughs> ravishing good looks, and he lives with two cats and a treadmill. Hmm, interesting. You're thinking? Think away. Think away. Anyway, so the film, the mother is going to Australia. She tells the story, they went on a ship and they had Super 8 footage, which from what I can gather was from the actual journey on the ship. And um, she took, oh, he's, uh, he's getting excited. He said, let's run up the hill, come on. Last, last one up is a rotten egg. Come on, come on. You gotta do it. You chicken, come on. See you at the top. Oh, you don't want to do it, spoil sport. Okay, we'll just keep walking. Okay, I shouldn't really be translating all of this for you, but just wanted to give you a bit of flavor there. So, the ship. So she's telling the story to her daughter off camera. You never see the mother. You just see this Super 8 film footage from the time she took the journey. So there's a separation between the voice and the time. Well, they're bringing the two together, right? And the story she tells is they were emigrating to Australia on the ship. And she, oh my, treadmill's making funny noises there. Let's just put the incline up a little bit. Um, Let's put my speed up to 4.4. Let's go nuts, sir. Oh, I need to hold my other phone as well. She um, got what was pregnant. So, I, well, I, she, it would have to be that she got pregnant before the journey. I mean, yeah, that wouldn't make sense, I think, otherwise. So, and... I don't know, you know, I think it was out of wedlock, which back then would have, in most kind of, you know, like just post-Victorian societies would have been really not the done thing. It would have been frowned upon. So, uh, and my memory is she had, I think she had a stillbirth. I, I mean, I don't think it was an abortion. I think it was a stillbirth. And she was telling the story, and the child was buried at sea. And uh, 
Apologies for getting all heavy now, but like if I think of something that really affected me profoundly, I'm going to go there. And then the rest of what I do is just whimsical, my sort of, uh, you know, stream of, it's all stream of consciousness, but then I focus on something like that. We're just overtaking someone on Camino. So can you imagine that? And the mother was telling the story. I have a feeling I've recounted this before here, but that's okay. So, BK is saying, saying, why didn't you run up the hill with me? <laughs> oh. So he's saying, come on, let's do it. Let's run up the hill. No, no, no. I, we'll never get there if we do that. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Um, maybe maybe the, tomorrow we'll run up the hill. Yeah, okay. Sounds like a good idea. Okay, I'm going to keep moving now. But this person is getting ahead of me and I want to catch up with them. So, see you at the other end. We'll have a nice meal. Maybe a few drinks. Eh? Eh? Oh, stop. You had way too many last night, BK. <laughs> You're right. I was... I don't remember anything. It must have been a great night. We met those mad Irish people. That mad Irish guy, James, he was crazy. Anyway, off we go. So, Hola. Get a bell. Ding, ding. Bloody cyclists. Arr. Buen Camino. So, and I remember her voice. The mother was telling the story. As I say, we never see her. And at one stage when she was crying, the sound levels went up and it distorted a bit. Which, technically, if I was teaching... You know, in a film school, I'd say, well, you know, obviously you want to get the levels right, but, you know, in this case, it actually, it's a case of sometimes te technical flaws can add to something, because it was so real. It was documentary. If it was fiction, look at me, I'm turning into a lecturer. Of course, I used to teach film. Buen Camino. Um... Yeah, in a feature film, drama film, that would just pull you out of it completely because it draws your attention to the fact that this is recorded. I mean, some would say it's a Brechtian device, right? Breaking the fourth wall, but it depends on the type of film. Mrs. Brown's Boys, that breaks the fourth wall all the time. Uh, I know I'll lose a lot of listeners by mentioning that. I think he's good at what he does and it's popular. Partly because it's not mean and ironic. I suspect that might be part of the appeal. It's got that warm-hearted family feel. Although, yeah, who knows behind the scenes what it's like. Anyway, too many tangents and tangent alert, tangent alert. So, in this case, the mother is telling the story about her having a child on the cruise ship, on the ship to Australia. Stillbirth, buried at sea. And it was so profoundly moving for me. I think I talked to others, I think for others too. Then it was a mixture of shorts we saw that day and another one I saw either directly after or shortly after was a drama, really well done, English drama, short film, about a woman who has a stillbirth uh, or loses a baby anyway, and she's traumatized. 
Buen Camino. People sitting down, tying their laces, as you do. And uh, she, uh, oh, so, and then she has a, still loses a baby. And I think her partner is still there, but they're not getting on. And she goes out, picks up a younger man in a bar, sleeps with him in her car, I think. And then the last image then was the man sucking her breast. This isn't explicit, is it? I hope not. I'm not trying to be explicit. And, you know, as a short film, it was really well made, well acted. The concept was good. Reminds me of a Brazilian, isn't it, film, Pichote? The last shot on that, wow, oh my God. I'll, I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Similar, but just seeing this film after seeing the documentary about the real baby who died, it just, no comparison, it just wasn't at all as powerful for me. If I had seen it outside of that context, because I really respected it in a way, but I guess that is the power of documentary. It's not an art form I've dipped into a lot, but um, uh, Pichote, drama. Now, it was a drama that had Hector Babenko, wasn't that the director, had a lot of... Um, uh, I haven't seen it in years, but had a sort of documentary feel almost. I mean, the world was so real, and there's a poor orphan kid in it, Pichote. And again, it's amazing how just sometimes from a film, one image will stick with you. Often the final image, but not always. In this case, Babenko, did he do Last Exit to from, what's that one, Brooklyn or something? No, maybe not. Check that later. Um, the last image, the little boy, a prostitute, I believe, takes him in and he lies in the bed with her. And then he starts, as a child, sucking her breast and she's just screaming for him to stop. God, I've got really heavy here, but I, I'm not going to apologize for it either because. And just uh, me making whimsical jokes all the time, surely. Which is worse? We're getting heavy, I don't know. <laughs> or just been plain boring. I was going to say, what's in between? I think the boring bit is in between. Um, I do a lot of that. So back to the South African documentary, though. Well, maybe I've said all I have to about that, but definitely one sort of... Um, subtext of that for me was that these white and black men in a psychiatric hospital together got on fine and outside of their their white and black people were killing each other but then the other subtext was what is sanity and you know in his culture this man patient he it would to hear voices calling you to be a healer and to hear this entity, to feel this entity coming into your life that had a name that is untranslatable in, into English. Um, that's reality for him. Reality for us is, for a lot of us, putting on a suit, 
going to work, following orders, earning a caseload of moolah, buying a nice house, nice car, bringing up a family, nothing wrong with that, getting a nice plot in the grave, best graveyard, and for when you pack it all in. So that's reality for, that would be considered sanity for a lot of people. Want to talk about a guy I met in England? Oh, when Camino, who went to Peru on a shamanistic journey, and there was an article in Vanity Fair about him. I won't give his name here, but I, I wanted to make a film about him. Uh, it's okay. I give his first name. It's okay, Julian. I've retired from the film business. You can come out of hiding. I met him in. Uh, London with his lovely partner and now wife a couple of times. Interesting story about how he packed in a humdrum wage slave existence and went on this mad adventure. But before I tell that, something when I was talking about reality and the humdrum nature of what we call a sane existence, there's a film by Tony Hancock called um, oh, oh my God, it's gone. The, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't even, I was sure that was not just on the tip of my tongue, but I mean, I talk about this all. Oh, The Rebel, The Rebel. Tony Hancock, legend of British comedy, starting on radio, then television, going back to the 50s into 60s, I guess died from suicide in Australia. Drinking drugs and depression, all that kind of stuff that not only are comedians not exempt from that, but some seem to, it's almost like the flip side, isn't it, of their trade. I don't have the numbers to back that up, but it's definitely a thing, I think. Um, but in The Rebel, I, you know, I revisited it recently. I watched it with my folks, and I think I purchased it, yeah. And a DVD, of all things. Remember those? I sound like an old man. Oh, sure, back in my day, oh, we'd have to crank up the DVD player. Oh, <laughs> oh sure, you're too young to remember. Um, but, more water. Oh, I've, I always quote talk about the scene from it. So, Hancock, the opening scene. He's lining up at a train station in somewhere in London, waiting for the train into Victoria or into centre of this into work anyway. And all the men are lined up wearing um, black Crombie coats, black. Um, what do they call it? Bowler hats. I have to say, I always liked bowler hats. When I was a kid, I had a thing about I wanted a bowler hat. I wore one to a sort of fancy dress once. Borrowed it off the legendary Porrick Brannock, Galway man. He's a big head. <laughs> in more ways than one, eh, Porrick? And I had to stuff some newspaper in it, I think, to make it fit. Mind you, I have a large enough head, too. <clears throat> fit all those brains. Um, anyway, 
But they're all lined up, black crombie coats, black bowler hats, black umbrellas, I think reading the Times newspaper. This would be in 50s London, before swinging London kind of kicked in. And that was the opening shot. But he fancies himself as an artist, Hancock, and he's terrible. Making sculptures and paintings, he's absolutely terrible. And he, but then he packs it all in, he can't face it anymore, and he goes to Paris to become an artist. And he does these awful paintings. Somehow he becomes famous. I don't know if it's like, you know, that film Being There. Gotta talk about that someday, Being There, love that. Peter Sellers, who, by the way, was a huge fan of The Rebel. He used to have a film print of it that he would screen in his house. And I'm saying this and I'm going, am I right? Maybe it was the producers he was a huge fan of. Either that, Juan Camino, or it was Mel Brooks, who was a huge fan of The Rebel. I give up. <sighs> Doesn't matter. Peter Sellers, Dr. Strangelove, great performance there. And also, hola, Juan Camino. Um, being there. Back to the rebel. So, Hancock somehow ends up being a famous artist in France. By accident, I think. And he's in this room with all these French existentialists. And I'm wondering, have I told this here before? If I have, it's worth retelling. He's sitting there. And they're all sitting around. All the French existentialists, they all have... Um, I think they're wearing like black polo necks and black berets and smoking gitan cigarettes or what's that other cigarette? Galois, whatever. They all look the same. Hancock is there saying, um, oh yeah, back in London, it was terrible. Everyone looked the same, dressed the same. And I said, oh, it was terrible. And they go, uh, one of the French existentialists just shakes his head slowly. Oh yeah, they all had goatee beards as well. He says, I could not live like that. Oh. oh, worth it just for that moment. I love that. Why am I talking about that? Because I, I was talking about what is sanity and the daily humdrum life that we call sanity. And it's like, okay, you do that or you do the crazy stuff, you, you end up dead either way. That said, bringing up a family having kids and all that obviously requires stability. So I think in life the balance is ideal. But I just think being a wage slave and shutting down your imagination completely, they call that sanity, but and watching television that programs you into believing that consumerism is the only way to happiness. Yeah, I'm getting preachy. Hey, you at the back of the class, out. Okay, no sniggering. Hey, you, stop firing those uh, paper ball pellets at me. Out. Okay. God, I was always in trouble in school. Also got kicked out of school. I think it's my proudest achievement. Sad, right? Yeah, it's not my proudest achievement, but I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I dreamt I was back, oh my God, in the jazz where I went to school. The place that kicked me out, along with two other guys, for printing anti-school propaganda magazine. 
Not my finest writing, but we made our point. <laughs> and um, getting kicked out was part of the point. Look at me, I'm such a bad boy. But I was back in the school and I was looking for photographs from, you know, the school, the class of 89. Was I back in the building and did I look at it once? Because when we were kicked out, we were kicked out on the last day of school. I like to say we were expelled, but school was kind of finished. We were let back to our leaving cert. But they, we came back to be in the school photograph. Like we were kicked out that afternoon and may have gone for a drink, I don't know, but came, yeah, I'm, I, I plead the fifth, I don't know, and came back to get in the photograph knowing they would not let us. How do we know that? We're assuming they would not let us. And then, or maybe they told us, no, I, anyway, tried to get in the photograph, they wouldn't let us. And then it was sort of pre-agreed, a certain amount of people left the photograph. So in my head, I'm imagining that that photograph, well, it would be smaller than most of the years. I'm sort of imagining it as decimated, but it wasn't like half of them left. I'd say, I'm thinking eight or nine people left. It could be three. It's more than one. <laughs> um, and I guess the ones who left were the ones with no, maybe, maybe with no huge academic options ahead of them with nothing to lose. Because they kind of have you, you can't. I went back looking for a reference for this drama school once, because well, they for, I had to go back and get one from principal. Imagine I went back. The things that I regret most in life when I look back to that era, honestly, are the times I conformed against my will. And the times I rebelled, I don't regret. Not at that age, that was important for me. Um, sorry, I have my eyes closed. Is someone overtaking BK here? So, multiple tangents later, get some water. Um, the only person I remember meeting in the dream, I wanted to find the photograph. I think I've had this dream before and I was, which floor is it on? And uh, I have a habit of not appearing in photographs, even like by accident, group photographs. One time I was, I think I was mitching from school, or dossing as we used to call it, and uh, this woman is making hand signals to BK. Is she trying to distract him? I don't know. Um, so, don't know how I explained to my parents that I wasn't in the school photo. Oh, it's getting quiet now. But what was the point I was trying to make? Um, yeah, in the dream I was looking for the photo. I met our PE teacher, who I haven't. I'm surprised I even I remembered him in a dream because I don't think I'd have remembered him in my head otherwise. Like, he came to me vividly in the dream. He was being okay to me, but I wanted to find the photo but not bump into some of the teachers of old. I still sometimes have nightmares that I'm back in school, and as usual, I'm 
Mitching, dossing, playing truant. What's the... What do the Americans call it? Playing hooky or something? Yeah, did a lot of that. Um, back to... Let's get back on track here. So, conformity is like necessary for society. A certain percentage of people signing up for the social contract. I sign up for most of it. Um, I think the things I hate are the rules that don't make sense. And in school, them trying to put you in a box. I think if you're at all creative, that's quite hard. But then Springsteen said, if you were the person who loved being in school, you weren't a rock and roller. So I like to think I'm a rock and roller. I'm looking over at my Fender Telecaster guitar that I haven't played it in a few days. I just, this evening now, Friday after work, I'm gonna play some ZZ Top and some blues. Absolutely. So, um, I was thinking of an ad I saw in Canada. I think it was an American commercial, but for a car. And the whole thing in the ad, the guy was saying, you make me work like a slave. You make me do this. You make me submit. You make, you know, just like talking about the hell of work and of overwork, which is a, they glorify overwork, especially in America now, like it's meant to mean something and you squander your whole life doing that for faceless corporations. Oh, look at me. I turned it into a real hippie here, but come on. It's true. And, um, and then you look at TV and it tells you what, what to be interested in and you watch these. Well, these days it's all binge-worthy shows and but this ad, he was saying, you make me do all this, you make me do all that. Um, and I do all that so that I can buy this car. I mean, it was better written than that. I wouldn't be good at writing those ads, but, but that was the gist of it. I do all that so I can buy this big F off car. And this me time when I'm in the car. It's like, you could, cause you need that job to buy that car. So the ad can't, has to sort of say, hey, yeah, you're working like a slave, but it's worth it because you buy this crap we're selling you. I don't even hate cars, but I'm not more into watches than cars these days. I was thinking as collectibles, watches make more sense because they're smaller, but I don't know how safe that market is. Then they have the art market and it's all manipulated anyway. I just want to write books and sell millions of them. It's funny, the creative expression is important, but the making money from it is important too because it could change my life where I'm free. Like money to me is really more about freedom than anything else. And to live a life and make a living as a writer, it's quite romantic, but to make that real, would be amazing and sometimes I wish I gave more energy to my book but I am doing it and I'm doing this too and this helps me clear out my head a bit and I'm behind on the book again this week but it's gone it's it's gone okay and uh, wish I could be more focused so um sanity yeah what is it I don't I'll maybe come back to that again 
the English guy, yeah, Julian, so he left. There is a Vanity Fair, if you look up Ayahuasca, A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A, -A -A. Uh, Ayahuasca Vanity Fair. They have a long article about the whole ayahuasca culture. That's like a plant, the vine, they call it a vine plant, and they make medicine out of it. And, uh, and uh, do ceremonies. I've partaken in Ireland, not in Peru, but there's also, there's genuine shamans, but there's also a whole tourist trap culture. And there's been one or two dodgy cases. One murder, uh, I don't know. I imagine some people losing their minds, possibly. I saw this young American woman, kind of rich kid, I gathered, I don't know, but went down to Peru and she was, broadcasting about her ayahuasca journey on YouTube. I just felt she was kind of lost. I don't know, not her, but when you bring that consumer culture to into that tribal culture, they don't really match. You know this idea, oh, go to the Native American and get healed. And the white man needs healing, but you gotta find that within yourself. I'm not ruling out the other either, but yeah, I did sweat lodge ceremonies with an Irish guy, but he's, he's sort of trained in, in Colombia, I think. Um, did ayahuasca, did a vision quest. Someday, maybe tomorrow, I'll talk, I'll have the vision quest as my main theme. It involved no food, no water, on the hills, Wicklow Hills, and uh, on my own. Other people were spread out through the forest, but everyone was on their own. In a makeshift tent, just a piece of tarp over a couple of sort of um, bent, um, do they call it waven pipers? Like those black rubber pipes, you know those things? Plastic pipes. Not even a tent. You wake up, there's a slug on the tarp looking down at you. No rain at all, so, which is unusual, so I couldn't. If there was, I could have collected water in the tarp. I'm the first person in that particular camp to quit. Quit with one more evening to go, and it wasn't weakness. It was, I realized it's not my path. It was more important for me to break it than to stay there. I know I'm repeating this. Maybe I've said all I can about the vision quest, but to each their own. I love going to Glenstall Abbey or Worth Abbey, Benedictine monasteries, staying and eating in silence with the monks, listening to the chanting, partaking in the liturgies and just getting connecting with myself. That's how that works for, that works for me. You know, I also used to love the uh, outdoor masses that John O'Donoghue used to run, which was far more Celtic than Roman which really helped connect it to our culture. And you know, when you take it to that level, for me, it's another form of shamanism. Absolutely. I was talking to someone the other day, an Irish actor, I nearly said actress. Actress, she prefers. She, uh, yeah, did this mad course in East, uh, acting course in East London and they ended up camping, staying outdoors in Kent in the snow. I think the snow wasn't part of the plan, but 
outdoors all day, in character all day. But then in the evening, there was some house or hostel or something where they could switch off, which is important too. And she said the, um, the people who were more comedic type actors were encouraged to do, to be more tragic and straight and introverted and intense, you know? And the people who were, who were more tragic actors were encouraged to be comedic. Really interesting. Reminded me a bit of the school I went to in Moscow, which was classical, but like we did things like Stanislavski. Well, I was there as a director, but I remember partaking in some Stanislavski classes. And I kind of forgot about it until I talked to this um, Irish woman. And I was like, oh, yes, well, I did. Stanislavski in Russia, you know? But another humble brag. Well, it wasn't that good, but at least I did it in Russia. Um, but it reawakened that memory in me. I remember doing the Stanislavski acting class and getting in a... Got really worked up and I ended up in a fight with the guy, but it was part of this whole acting thing we were doing. Got my shirt ripped. Got physical. We were kind of pulled apart. But I just felt elated at the end. And I didn't feel any aggression or animosity toward him. I don't think he did toward me, but I'm not sure. It didn't carry on after that, put it that way. Oh, Russia. You see, I feel like I could do a whole few hours on that, but then the things I think I'm going to say a lot about, I don't, you know? So we're on a motorway now, highway, whatever. Not a motorway, like a road, regular road. And um, lovely fluffy clouds in the sky. Little fluffy clouds, love that song. Bye, anyone? Anyone? Yes, Sean? Correct. The Orb. With a voice by, based up, taken from a radio interview with female American singer. Can't remember who it is. It's not Patty, no, it's PJ Harvey. No, I, we never know. She's doing the interview and she's talking about, oh yeah, starts off with the question, what were the skies like when you were a child? She goes, I just remember all oh, the skies are so blue and little fluffy clouds and they went on and on and on. You don't get that anymore. Maybe in a movie. And it's just repeating it. And I think she had a head cold, she said, the other day. But they just repeat that. Like, as far as I know, it was, it was sampled from an interview. Like, I don't think she did it just for the song. And they just have this, the orb did some beautiful stuff though. Just beautiful melody and beats underneath it. And um, check it out. Little Fluffy Clouds by The Orb. On the album UF Orb, I believe. The Orb and Orbital were kind of almost totally different. They're both electronic, but Orbital more Dancy. Saw them in Galway a couple of years ago. Really enjoyed that gig with lots of amazing visuals. I drank some cacao before going, and which is legal, I hasten to add. Uh, objection, Your Honor. <laughs> Sustained. Okay. 
enough about that. My lawyer wants me to stop before I incriminate myself further, but that was a great kick. So got to go back to work now. And uh, where are we? 10 seconds left. Seven. Okay. Okay, and that's it. So, buen camino. God bless. See you tomorrow. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. Talk soon.